Okay, guys. So now we are going to get to some of the kind of the meat and potato steps. Ooh, it's going to do the four step. And, um, and uh, yeah, let's take a peek at that. And then we have a, a little four step template <clears throat> that we can take, um, we can take a little bit longer on. We'll take a little, we'll probably give you 10 minutes. We'll do this this little four step template, but, but let's, let's take a look at that. So let's start looking. So the four step of course starts at the bottom. At the bottom of 63, we have that line that says, um, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, right? So um, when I make that decision to turn my will and my life over to God, I remember hearing somebody say in a meeting once and say, well, then, then what? It's like, what, what, why am I doing that? You're doing that so that you're willing to launch out on this next part, which is the, the really exciting part. And, and, and again, a lot of people have a lot of fears around four steps. I never had, a, I never had an issue with doing a four step. I was always so alone in my life. Aloneness was a big, uh, a big source of pain for me being in my house, being in that family, that um, I just never was afraid of doing a four-step. I, I always felt nobody ever wanted to, to listen to me. So um, the idea that somebody, even knowing that there was going to be a fifth step that was following a four-step, and don't mind me, I'm just going to put on a little cashmere sweater here, just warm up a little bit, disappear for a moment. There I am. Um, the idea that somebody was going to be willing to listen to me just meant everything because I just wasn't, I wasn't used to that. So I didn't, I just didn't ever have any anxiety around a four step. I just didn't. I don't know why. I, 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 that's just a bullet that I managed to dodge. But, um, but I know a lot of people have some real anxiety behind four steps and things. And um, the. And what I would just tell you is just share from my experience that um, there's no boogeyman in the closet. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing that you're going to reveal that is um, going to throw anybody here. You just won't. And I've heard, I've heard murders confessed in fifth steps. I've heard... Um, and despite the fact I was molested um, because I was um, really lucky on my first four step, I just experienced, um, I just got free. And we'll, we'll talk about that after you, you do your, your four step. We'll talk a little bit more about it because there's three parts to a big book inventory. There's the resentment part, there's the fear inventory, and then there's the sex inventory. And re resentment is just a $2 word for I don't forgive you asshole that's all a resentment is is i don't forgive you and um and i was really again i was really lucky that i had uh real catharsis right right from the beginning and um because i sponsor men and women in this program and in the mother program i've listened to two three i guess actually one in this program two in the mother program i've listened to two men um talk about molesting children. One was a serial molester. And I'll tell his story later at the end of the day. And he's fine with me telling it. I use a pseudonym with his name. 
and he's actually, uh, you know, he's a famous musician, but, um, uh, and it's just, it's amazing what's, what's possible here. It's just, it's, I, I am standing on holy ground anytime I'm in a 12-step meeting, whether I'm in a live meeting or I'm on a Zoom meeting. I'm just really convinced that there is no holier place in the world for me to be. So, uh, four step, right? So it starts at that 63. It says, look, let's launch out and listen to those words, right? I'm a writer. Listen to that word, launch out, launch. That's a, that's a great verb. You choose the right verb. You don't ever need adjectives. <laughs> that's for sure. So launching out on a uh, program of action, a vigorous program of action. And, um, and again, there's the three parts to a big book inventory. So um, let's, and I'll tell you what, let's actually, this would be a good time. Let's get that. We've got that, that, um, that, uh, template. Let's get that template attached. And, um, and if you guys are in a situation where you can print it, right, you could do it that way. Otherwise you can just bring it up on your screen and you can, you've got your little notebook, right? Um, and you can actually just answer the questions. Okay. So if, as we're looking at that template, okay. And there it is up there on the screen. Mark's got it there. And then I know it's been, I think it's probably been attached in the chat too. So that, um, and, and this is for people who want to, and, and whether or not you want to do it now, or you want to do it for later, because we all have it up on the screen right now. Thanks Mark for doing that. Mark Stellar. Mark, Mark, by the way, as we're talking about service, talk about service, and there was a snafu on the board. Mark, Mark I have a feeling Mark's going to end up back on the board again if he wants to be, and I hope he does. But Mark, actually, two weeks ago, I did a retreat, and Mark did all of the thing all day long. Mark was the senior tech all day long. So if you want to know, and Mark is somebody who's, he's, I don't think Mark will mind me saying this, and he can correct me, but I think Mark's lost like 140 pounds. I mean, so he's one of those you know, just amazing people who just hit the ground running. And I know Mark's sponsor and he's a wonderful man. And, um, but, but Mark is thoroughly grounded in service and doing service here. He's a revelation. So like I said, I don't, I don't ever, um, I don't ever talk about sticking with the winners and program because that means I have to figure out who the losers are and there are no losers here. There is not a loser in any 12 step room, but there are people who um, have what I want and can be a really good influence on me. And Mark is one of those people. And those are, and Morley is one of those people. And Pat is one of those people. Um, there are people who are really, it comes very naturally to them to say yes and open their hearts. Um, and I never minded, I was a tither from when I was very young, but I never wanted to to, you know, I, you know, I never raised my hand to give anybody a ride home after a meeting in the beginning. It was like, wait, what, you're gonna, you're gonna get in my car? Like, you're gonna, we're gonna ride together? Like, and it wasn't for any other reason, but that I was afraid. I was afraid. It was the intimacy. I was so afraid of intimacy. So people like, you know, Mark and Morley and Pat and these people who just volunteer and just say yes. And Kathy, my friend Kathy, who just say yes. Um, they have a, you know, they have a freedom, right? And an accessibility and a willingness to be seen. That is, um, you know, so they're a good influence on me. 
So anyway, thanks, Mark, for your service. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay, so we see it up there on the screen. All right, so it, and it doesn't matter. And then it's also in the chat. If you can get it printed, you do. And if you don't, you don't, right? You can just, you can, you can take your little notebook, right? So write this down in your notebook. And here's the important thing to get on a big book inventory is it takes the story out of it. The big book takes the story out of it. Here's, here's what I can tell you about story, right? And again, I'm a writer. There's only three purposes to story. Aristotle gave us the first one 2,800 years ago, and it's to create catharsis, right? It's the reason that some people, a lot of people go to horror movies, right? When we all used to be able to go to movies, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't go to horror movies. I, I don't, I, I, I already lived through a horror movie that was my childhood, right? I don't need to be in a horror movie. My, I got a nervous system that's already too activated. I'm not into horror, but it's the reason that a lot of people would collectively go uh, to a horror movie, right, in a theater, because, you know, the monster jumps out, the killer jumps out, whatever, and everybody, ah, right, you have that, ah. it's that collective, it's that releasing of those fears, those three o'clock in the morning fears, that we can do that in the safety of a community with, with people around us, you're safe. There's people on the other side. There's people chomping on popcorn, right? Not us, not compulsive readers, but um, you're safe. And you could, that, that's, that's, that's the purpose of story that, that Aristotle gave us, catharsis, right? That's purpose number one. The second purpose, it's this particularly relevant to the, you know, the business that I was in, was the entertainment business. It's to entertain. Purpose of stories is to entertain, right? The third purpose, and this is particularly relevant to us here in 12-step programs. The purpose of story is to get you on my team. I want you on my team. Because if you're on my team, I'm good. And whoever did something bad to me is bad. So let's take those two men that molested me, right? What are we calling them? Lenny and Marvin. I don't have to work too hard to tell that story to get somebody on my team if that's what I want to do, right? I was five and I was 10. It wasn't a fair fight, right? I was 10, he was 50, not a fair fight. I don't have to work hard to get you on my team to see me as good and them is bad, but that's not good for me. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that because it, it does the one thing that I don't wanna do here, which is stay in the victim mentality. I don't wanna do that, that'll kill me. It'll take me out. I do not wanna do that. I already was victimized. I already have the, the, the natural tendency to show up as a victim because I was victimized, right? It's a habit, it, it's, it's, it's a mindset. And aside from everything that was going on in my family and the alcoholic family and my mother's trauma and all this and you know on and on and on, I already was set up to be a victim. I don't, I, I, I actively want to make sure that I resist that. That's why when I tell the story about that first, you know, that first woman in that meeting, right, that, that beautiful woman who 
talked to me and said, can you think you could not eat sugar and eat three meals today? Why I give her the benefit of the doubt and say, I think she actually probably did give more information and perhaps I'm just not remembering it. But even if she didn't, the responsibility was mine because I don't want to be a victim, right? So the great thing about a big book inventory, and I did not create this template, right? Um, uh, it's called from stuff in the book and there's some, you know, structural stuff I'd kind of do differently just to, cause I got that kind of that perfectionist thing, right? That wall that has still not, that problem has not been solved. But, um, but the great thing about a big book inventory is it takes the story out of it. So as you see here, right? So it's, I'm resentful at, cause there's four columns in a big book inventory it talks about on page 65. And the fourth column is clarified in the prose on page 67 in the big book. But you've got those four columns, right? I'm resentful at the cause. And then the third column is it affects my, here, let me read it <laughs> off my sheet here. It affects my self-esteem, personal relationships, materially, emotional, security, and sexual. Okay, that's the third column. And then the fourth column is, and this is your get out of jail free column. It's the fourth column. It's where am I selfish, dishonest, and self-seeking and frightened. I always just say to Sponsi, selfish, dishonest, and fearful. Because self-seeking and selfish just seem so similar to me. And it's just kind of easier to think about things in, in a three like that. But where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful? That is your get out of jail free card, that fourth column. Okay, so let's talk about this. So let's go through here and look. And I'm gonna again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you my uh, Lenny and Marvin were at the top of the list on that first four step, obviously, right? And, and we're gonna talk about them because if I can forgive Lenny and Marvin for what they did, if I can get around the other side of that, I can definitely forgive the guy who stole my guitar in high school type thing, right? So, um, so and let's just, let's just stay with Marvin because that was the more egregious uh, sexual uh, trauma. So I'm resentful at Marvin, right? The cause. And again, you see there, and again, they've, they've set it up. This person who did this for me, set it up where it's just, you don't have a monster box. Because when we look at page 65 in the book, and Bill's got all these things he's talking about, right? You know, I think he's describing Mrs. Jones. Isn't that poor Mrs. Jones? She's a nut. I think, isn't he, doesn't he describe her as a nut? <laughs> That's one of the women he described. Mrs. Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend. She's a gossip. See, there's not a lot of information there. See, if I were to get into this and I was going to tell the story about Marvin, like the cause, why do I resent Marvin? Well, because Marvin had an A&W root beer stand and what he used to do was he used to, I mean, I can just give you the story and I can tell you what the inside of the car was like and what his breath smelled like and the stubble on his, you know, he's never, he was never clean shaven. Yeah, I mean, I can give you a story. Let me tell I'm a writer. I can give you a story. That's my job. But I don't want to do the story because I don't want you on my team. I don't want you to see Marvin as a bad guy and see me as the good guy because that puts me in the victim mode. And you create that situation. If I live in that victim mode, the world will continue to give me opportunities to be a victim. It just will. It rained on my outdoor wedding and my outdoor wedding reception, by the way. I got married on January 30th, 2011. There were 44 beautiful 
typical uh, Southern 45, uh, Southern California sunshiny days between January 1st, 2011 and Valentine's Day, 2011. And one rainy day, torrentially rainy day. And that was my outdoor wedding and reception day. Okay. So the world will continue to give you opportunities to be a victim if you want to live there. And we don't want to do that. So the big book takes the story out of it. So I'm resentful that Marvin, the cause, molested me when I was a kid on a number of occasions. That's all I need. That's all the information we need, right? And then I'm just checking boxes. So that's why it's so easy here. That's why I say when I give people this four-step, assign it on a, you know, a, a Monday the 1st, they're going to be done by Monday the 15th. There's actually a guy in Alcoholics Anonymous. He's funny. He's really funny. He's a circuit speaker. He's been sober almost 60 years at this point. And, um, and he talks really slow. He talks like this. He almost sounds like he's drunk. But um, he'll say, yeah, I'll assign the four-step to a guy on a Friday. And I'll say to him, so what time tomorrow, Saturday, did you want to do that fifth step? He says he never assigns a four-step to anybody without giving them a fifth-step date. And he says, and if I'm feeling particularly charitable, I'll give them until Sunday, right? So it doesn't take a long time. Again, I give people two weeks, and usually what I say is I give them a week, and then I'll always wink, wink. You know, they always have a second backup week. But I think now I tell them, I say, look, take two weeks, but we're going to have this done in two weeks, and I do schedule the fifth-step. And again, not because I'm a bitch or a shrew or a drill sergeant or a therapist type or a mother figure or anything like that, but, um, but because as a chronic slipper, we want to move with alacrity. You want to stay, we want to keep you really busy because we want to keep this turned off. This is not your friend. It's not your friend. Your thinking is not your friend right? Stinking thinking, all the things we talk about here. So we want to just stay busy. And it, and, and I heard someone say once in AA, they said, if doing a four-step is hell, going through hell, don't dally. And again, a four-step has never been hell for me. What has been hell is needing to do a four-step and being unwilling to do it. That's hell. That's something to be afraid of, but not doing a four-step. And especially, again, with this template, this couldn't be easier, right? Because you're just checking boxes. So again, I'm resentful at Marvin, the cause, molested me when I was a kid on a number of occasions, affects my self-esteem, yes, check the box, affect my personal relationships, yes, check the box, materially, sure, I think it could be argued that it affected me materially. Did I make different choices? Is that part of why, is that part of why I tanked in high school? I was an all-A student in junior high, all-A's. And wanted to be a doctor and then fell through the floor when I got to high school, when I had started gaining weight and all the stuff was going on and having a real hard time with puberty and things. Um, did, did that affect my, and did, you know, did it affect, you know, is it part of why I made the choices I made in, in, in college, right? I was going to go to law school. I finished school and I applied to law school. I got into law school, including a couple of good ones. And all of a sudden I decide, no, I don't want to do it. Is that part of it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe, is it a possibility? Sure. Am I doing it to claim victim status and not take responsibility in my life? Absolutely not, absolutely not. But remember, we're taking an inventory here. And if you're taking an inventory, you're taking stock, you're counting things. I'm just taking a look at stuff. But it doesn't mean I need to, you know, if I'm going in and I'm counting the, the 
the Coca-Cola's on the shelf, right? Cause we're taking inventory. I don't have to read the ingredients. I don't have to know about the sugar and the caramel corner caramel color and the whatever else is in coca-cola i don't know what's in coca-cola but i don't need to look that that deeply but i do need to count what we've got here so i'm just saying yeah i think it affected me materially the idea that i was molested and some of the choices i made in life did it affect me emotionally uh-huh did it affect me my security oh show right does it affect me sexually of course right so all those boxes got checked but now I get to this fourth column, okay? So the first sponsor that I had when I did this, she had not been molested as a child. She'd not been molested. And she said, now, Sheila, you know, I'm really sorry this happened to you. You know that, right? I'm really sorry this happened to you. You shouldn't have been molested. Nobody should be molested. Nobody should deal with that kind of trauma. And I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that. You know that, don't you? And I knew that. I knew that. I could feel her love and her compassion and her warmth. I knew that. And she said, but can we talk about this? Then can we talk about this fourth column? And I said, yeah, we can. Because I didn't have any of those boxes checked. I didn't have it where I was selfish, dishonest. Or, and again, we didn't have boxes then. I did this first first step. This was in the late 80s. We didn't have this kind of high-tech word. I mean, you did, but it wasn't going on on computers and stuff. So I was doing this all on a notebook, right? But I did not see where I was selfish, dishonest, and fearful, like it talks about on page 67, right? On 67, uh, middle paragraph, uh, or <clears throat> third paragraph, third, uh, second full paragraph, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I was 10, he was 50. What? Resolutely looked for our own mistakes. But again, the only correct answer to a sponsor is yes. My sponsor said, do the work. So I did the work. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Okay, well, I'll give you the frightened one. I saw that one. I see that. But I didn't see these other things. Where had I been selfish, dishonest? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Nope. So my sponsor said, can we talk about this? I said, yeah, sure. She said, and again, you know that I know that this shouldn't have happened to you. And I'm really sorry this happened to you. Shouldn't have happened to you. And I said, okay, you're right. I know that. I know that you feel that. Thank you. She said, I'm just wondering though, um, is there anything you've done in your life that you want to be forgiven for? And I said, of course. Of course there is. She said, okay. So is it possible that it's dishonest for you to not forgive Marvin for molesting you if you want to be forgiven? And I got it. I got it. I heard it. I heard it right away. And I said, well, I guess if you put it like that, but I didn't molest anyone. She said, that's not what I asked. I asked if you felt like perhaps it's dishonest for you to not forgive Marvin 
if you want to be forgiven for something. And I said, well, I, I think I see that. She said, okay, do you think you could check that box? Or, you know, again, remember, we didn't have this, but can you, can you agree to that one? And I could. She said, now can we talk about selfishness? And I said, sure. Because <laughs> I'm starting to get a hint. I'm getting a hint of two things, right? Where we're going with this, and I'm starting to feel how good it feels, right? And she said, do you think the world has missed out at all on what you're here to do or to offer because of this sexual trauma? Do you think the world has missed out at all? And I said, I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. I can't be sure. Possibly. And she said, okay. So you're not sure on that one, but it's a possibility. And I said, yeah, it's a possibility, I guess. And she said, okay. She said, um, um, sorry, I'm just looking at the schedule. She said, um, let's, let's change gears. She said, tell me about your relationships with men. Well, at that point, I had uh, every ex-boyfriend at the time I had, and I didn't have a lot of them, right? Uh, but every ex-boyfriend I have would cross the street if he saw me coming, right? And she said, um, why, why is that? And I said, well, I was pretty mean to them. I hurt them. I, I, punished, I punished every man in my life for what Lenny and Marvin had done to me. And uh, including my father and my brothers and, and my mother, quite frankly. And there were probably women who got punished too, right? All of you. I punished all of you, right? I was pissed off. And she said, I understand. I can only imagine. Is that selfish? Since selfishness, by its very definition, right, is, let's see if I can do this here while we're on the phone. Let me see if I can pull up my dictionary here. Let's look at this. Let's see what Oxford right now says about the definition of the word selfish, right? Dictionaries are your friend. Concerned chiefly with one's own personal advantage or welfare to the exclusion or regard of regard for others, deficient in consideration for others, actuated by or appealing to self-interest. Well, anytime I, I mean, anytime I get in, I got in an argument, my husband and I got in a snafu earlier this week. Anytime I get in an argument with somebody, particularly with my husband, it's because I'm into selfishness. It's all about me. It's all about mine. It's all about what I think. So I saw it then. I realized that because of what I'd experienced and how that left me treating men, and again, it wasn't an indictment. I mean, I was just, I was just trying to cope. 
but it doesn't change the fact that it was selfish. And then I really could understand also, I guess I maybe I didn't catch it as much initially in the conversation, but it certainly landed later in it where I realized I was not contributing everything that I had to contribute in the world because I was so caught up in that pain and that trauma. And even though I was in no way responsible, obviously, for what had happened to me, what Marvin and Lenny had done, I was certainly responsible for the fact that I hadn't forgiven them. You see, I was responsible for that. And once I saw it that way, and that got introduced to me lovingly and gently by someone who did not have the experience of having been molested, but I loved her and I trusted her and I felt safe with her. And which is all I want to do with a sponsee is help somebody know that you're safe here. You're safe to be honest with what you eat. You're safe to share those fears, right? You're safe to share those kind of things that we just talked about in that exercise. You're safe here. When people feel safe, their heart opens up. I know my heart opens up when I feel safe, and I felt safe and my heart opened up. And I had a healing. I never felt resentment toward those men after my first four step when I got this all down. I just didn't. That I, I, I got really lucky on that one. There are other things that I've had to put on four steps, you know, a few times. I got, I got really burned by a boss about 10 years ago, really burned. And um, she ended up on a four step a couple of times. So I have no idea why this one just landed the way that it did. But, um, but and again, so that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of, of the thing here. So that's the process you're going through when you're looking at this. So I'm resentful at the cause. And uh, you list all those checking boxes um, in those third columns, ways that I've been affected. And when I have my sponsors reading this to me in a fifth step, I, I have them read it like this. And I, I make sure that they are reading it this way so that you're, because you want to get this, this muscle in place because it's what liberates you and frees you. So I'll have them say, I'm resentful at Marvin, uh, the cause uh, of uh, molesting me when I was a kid. Um, I've been affected. Uh, it, it affects uh, resenting or not forgiving Marvin, affects my self-esteem, my personal relationship, you know, so like that. And I have them phrase it that way. Resenting or not forgiving Marvin affects me in all these ways. And then when they get to the fourth column, I say, and my part is I am selfish, dishonest, and fearful. So that it just, we just take that in because you realize, and we'll see this when we get to six and seven. So I don't want to jump ahead here, but you just want, I want this kind of a flow going on in my life. That's what I want. I want that kind of a flow. And that flow changed everything for me. So that's the resentment part. 
Now we can go to the next part, which is the fear inventory. Because again, there's the, the three parts to a big book inventory, right? And the fear part, it's very, very simple. It's right, um, it's right on page 68 in the big book. Okay, so we'll just go to that fear inventory. So it'll be the next page here. He'll bring that up for us in a minute here. And what it's talking about on page 68, there it is right there. Thanks, Mark. So, and again, see here, and on page 68 in the book, it says, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So there's no, no forgiveness issue around the fears, right? We asked ourselves why we had them. So there it is right there. And then it goes on to list all the different reasons. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? And, you know, it talks about other things. We had confidence, et cetera, right? But, but that's all you're doing on the fear part of the inventory. I'm fearful of why do I have the fear, okay? And one of the, the, one of the fears at the top of my list, and I got to tell you, this fear disappeared for about 20, I've been sober 32 years now, I'll be 33 in a, in a couple of weeks here. But um, this fear disappeared for about 20 years and it came back about 10 years ago. And I don't know what that's about. And it's still kind of hanging on a little bit again, but I'm afraid of the dark. Okay. I'm fearful of the dark. Why do I have the fear? Because I was molested when I was a kid. I think, I think that would be my guess. Right. Um, and there's some question as to apparently my oldest brother, the one who's deceased, might have had some inappropriate contact with my sister. But again, I came from one of those alcoholic family. I'm the only one in my family who goes to 12 step programs. I'm not the only one who qualifies, but I'm the only one who goes. And that's not any, you know, there's no spiritual, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything about me or anything about them. It's just, you know, 12 step programs aren't for everybody. We go pretty deeply here. But it's not even like I can retreat to that and say, oh, I see. You don't want to go deep. No, it's not about that. This is what I do. I love it here. I, I love what we do here. I love all of it. And people in my family don't want to go. But um, so there does seem to be, um, you know, so people are still affected by alcoholism and nobody wants to have a conversation about anything. But my sister had kind of thrown this out. So my oldest brother might have had inappropriate contact with her and he might have had inappropriate contact with me too. I don't know. I have kind of some old, old stuff from when I was, you know, pre-toddler stuff. So, um, so who knows, right? But why do I have the fear? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just being in an alcoholic home where nobody was talking to anybody. There was just nobody, there just was no safe place, right? There was no safe, why do I have the fear? There was no safe place to lay in. It doesn't really matter so much here, but that's just what you're looking at in terms of the fears, right? And then we'll just go down to the sex inventory. That's our next one. That's the third part of the big book inventory. You got to like that. It starts on page 69, right? The sex inventory. And it's the same thing that we have in the resentment inventory. And they just add, but just in terms of the fourth column, there's just one other part that gets added. It's the same selfish, dishonest, and fearful. And then it, it also adds, um, <laughs> it's, it's the cutest phrase. I love it. I just love that it adds this it says inconsiderate, right? It adds that. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that next thing. But again, it's the same thing as the resentment. So who did I harm? What did I do? Column three and column four. Now, here's the only thing is you want to make sure with this, because I had, um, there was some acting, you know, I had a lot of sexual partners, right? The promiscuity was, um, that was a big part of my life, right? And so, and I, 
you know, there was some hurt that I did there and you will always be on your own sex inventory. You'll always be on your own sex inventory. So, um, so I had that. And um, I also have abortions in my history, right? So I put, you know, I put that down. So um, all of these things were, were, who did I harm? But it doesn't have anything on here, like who harmed me? Well, that's because I already caught Lenny and Marvin on the resentment part. I already caught them on the first part of the inventory. So I didn't need to, I don't need to address that, even though that obviously is sexual stuff. It didn't show up on this part of it because this is looking at where I did damage in the world. And again, so I, I can't remember if they probably did, but well, I, no, I feel quite sure they would have. So every, all the ex-boyfriends would have been in here. Who did I harm? Let's call, let's call one of them. Let's use a, let's call him um, Paul, right? Who did I harm? Paul, what did I do? I was mistreated him in the relationship. And then all these, column three, right? It affects my, all these places. I'm checking boxes there. And then column four, where am I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and inconsiderate? Now, remember, I used to, I was living in England, and I had a sponsor named Beryl, and I said, what does it mean, you know, that whole inconsiderate on the sex inventory part? Because we, you know, I was cycling through the steps again and ended up on it, and she said, oh, Sheila, I'm, I'm doing a dreadful English accent, right? I have a sponsor who's English. I'm sure I'll get called on this later. But um, she'd, she'd say, oh, Sheila, you know, inconsiderate it really just means bad form doesn't it it's 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 bad form it's it's bad form to mistreat a boyfriend it's 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 bad form to have an abortion isn't it? it's bad form right she <laughs> just kind of set it up that way so you're just checking boxes and again part of it why i think why i love kind of that gentle sweet little inconsiderate part of the language and then barrel's <laughs> description that it's just being it's just bad form because it just softens it for me because there's so much pain around sexual trauma and so much pain around the acting out and the decisions that I made based on being ill-equipped for life because everything really got, you know, stopped in the water there when this stuff was going on and I got shut down and did a lot of damage. It's great to kind of have it relaxed and softened up a little bit okay well that's our four steps so you see nothing to be frightened about there and this is especially if you're printing this and you have this in your chat and you can you can get that and have that and and that's something it doesn't have to take a long time to do that not at all it does not have to take a long time to do that so now and let's take rather than taking a, a yeah, let's do this. Let's give you, let's take eight minutes. Okay, we're going to do eight minutes and we're going to start the clock right now. So I'm going to let the, the timer start the clock right now. And maybe we'll take a, uh, a two minute warning when we're two minutes out, but get the timing happening right now. And, um, and, and let's look at this. I would invite you to take a look at this, right? So you've got it in the chat. And if you don't, if you haven't been able to, and you should be able to access it in the chat, but if you don't, 
just do this as an exercise. I would invite you, and I wouldn't worry about the sex inventory one. Let's keep our focus on the resentment one and the fear one. Let's just take a look at this just as a gentle exercise. But you got to raise your hand now and you got to say, if I'm going to do this, I promise within 24 hours, I'm going to make sure I share this information with someone. So if you're choosing to do this exercise, right, and the clock's on, so we're going to have, you know, you're going to have about six, six and a half minutes because it's not going to take you a long time. Just write three resentments that you have. Keeping in mind, resentment is just, I don't forgive you. Three things you're resentful about and what's the cause. And keep, and, and no more than a sentence. And as my Al-Anon sponsor always says, and no coordinating conjunctions in that sense, no and, but, or, for, nor, so, yet, right? So it's just like, I'm resentful at, and what's the reason? And then just checking off, right? Or thinking in your head, does this affect my self-esteem? Does it affect my personal relationships? Does it affect me financially, emotionally, my security, sexually? And then most importantly, where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful in reference to not forgiving this person for this thing? Okay. And then you can do the next part, which is just your fears. Write down three fears you have and what's the cause. And again, we're not sharing these in the chat. There's nothing like that that's going on. And you're just making a commitment that you'll share this with either a sponsor or on an outreach call. Or you know, if you want to share it with if you, a, a therapy situation or a, a spiritual guide, something like that. But you don't ever do a fourth step without sharing it on a fifth step. Okay? So I know the timer's already going. And so you'll have about another six minutes, I would guess. And, uh, and let's just do this just as an exercise, just to make, just to make friends with a four-step, just to see that there's nothing to be afraid of in a four-step. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll come back. And who is timing? Where are we at in terms of time? Just so I know. Somebody timing? Okay, well, I'll tell you what, then I'm going to officially jump in here and say that you got- uh, Diane is your timer, Sheila. Sure. And what, what kind of time do we have left then? Uh, Diana, could you unmute yourself let her know? Okay, there we go. <sighs> I resent that. I resent not being allowed to unmute. <laughs> Diane, thank you for your service. How okay. much time? <laughs> Okay, so so you want six minutes now just for this? Let's, let's just give them five. Diane, let's just do five. You, you guys, okay. five minutes will be plenty. And Diane, thank you so much for your service. Okay. So, uh, and Diane will let you guys know when you got a minute left, okay? Okay, because this is not light and easy and knowing you can dive deep and, and still let it be light and easy because we got you, okay? And time is up. Thank you, Diana. Okay, guys. So again, so you have a little mini four step there. And so the big thing you want to do is you want to make sure you share that. So you can do that with a sponsor or on an outreach call. Just, hey, uh, Diana, it's Sheila. Just making a quick outreach call. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. What's up? You know, I just did this mini four step. It's going to take me about two minutes to read. Can I just read this to you? I just did a, a thing in a workshop today. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Right. It's that simple. It's that easy. And we can just practice this, you know, using this, just knowing that we're safe here. You are safe here in the 12 step rooms. And the fifth step portion of the book is from 72 to the bottom of 75. And the one thing I would just point out to you 
is that paragraph right at the end of 75, it talks about when we get home, after you've given away a fist up, it says, find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better, right? And then it says, take the book down and make sure that, that up to this point, I've done everything as thoroughly as possible, right? And carefully reading the first five proposals, which of course are the first five steps. Right. And about half the time that I've done a fist up, I've done that. And it's actually really been a really powerful experience. What I usually say to sponsors is I say, lay on your bed if you want, uh, you know, put on some nice music. If you've got a baby and you want to sit in the rocking chair and rock, you know, just if you can do this. And if you end up falling asleep, you know, don't fall asleep in the rocking chair with the baby. But if you fall asleep on your bed, right, and you're listening to the music, like it's okay. But just create that space, right? Just because this is a big, this is radical. People live their whole lives and never say some of these kind of things out loud and knowing that you're safe in the world to say this and be met with not only safe to say these things, but you're safe to say them and actually take that next courageous step and see your part, right? That's really powerful. That's amazing. This is an amazing thing that's possible here. And, um, and uh, again, I just peeked for a moment in the chat. Somebody had, had included, someone had talked about their sponsor has them do additional things. So I would invite you to just scroll through the chat. She had you know, invited a couple things in terms of the fear, like a second, two additional things, like what are you doing to perpetuate the fear? So there's some really cool wisdom that's you know, going on in that chat um, that, that, that I'm hearing here. And so I know that we'll get some of that stuff out from the the text. So there's some really cool stuff. And, and again, even though you're not accessing all those things, you don't want to miss out on this. There is such wisdom we have here in the community. These are the kinds of things that you build on and you start accessing by building a community in those outreach calls. And hey, uh, uh, Tina, I'm actually working on a a four step. What's your experience when you did a four step from the big book, right? You just, oh, my sponsor says to, you know, add this. I mean, there's just really cool things. That's a really cool piece of awareness, right? That her sponsor added the thing. She said, what are you doing to perpetuate the fear? There was another thing, but that was the one that sticks with me. That second thing is, what are you doing? What am I doing to perpetuate the fear? Well, if I have the fear of the dark, if I'm not getting to bed till two o'clock in the morning, which sometimes I don't do, well, that's not the way to play it. It's 12.20. Thank you so much. Everything's scarier at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. You haven't been to bed. So um, so at any rate, so that's your, your fifth step. Okay, so we got our fourth step and our fifth step. Now let's look at steps six and seven, which they get a whole two paragraphs each. And I always used to feel sorry for step six and seven, thinking, oh, they, they only get two paragraphs. Actually, wait until we get to step eight. You're going to see step eight. Then the step eight gets a sentence. But at any rate, let's look at steps six and seven. We're going to have another little fun little exercise here. Just because Diana loves timing, so we're just going to keep her busy on time and test. <laughs> this will be quick. This will be a quick and easy one. And um, But this is, this is a really fun one, okay? But looking at this, so again, on the top of page 76, we have, there is a there is a paragraph for step six and there is a paragraph for step seven. And of course that paragraph for step seven is the seven step prayer. And by the way, just, just as a little note here, right? If you're ever in a meeting and there are newcomers at the meeting and you have a choice about what prayer to do at the end, 
be really discriminating as to whether or not you want to do the step three or the step seven prayer, because a newcomer doesn't have a chance at knowing that. There's a chance they might know the Our Father. There's a chance they might know the Serenity Prayer, right? But just just be conscious about it. And if you do end up choosing those chairs, prayers, just make sure you approach that newcomer afterwards and let them know that, hey, the third step prayer is on page 63 and the seventh step prayer is on page 76, okay? So at any rate, so um, the big thing with step six and seven, right, is we have, when we get to that seventh step prayer, it's um, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. Well, how can I give over the good and the bad to my creator, whatever that is, right? Whatever that entity is, that higher power entity is, whether it's love or the ocean or the universe or nature, the, the power of the group. How can I give it over unless I've identified it? So for me with sponsees, I don't just have them identify their character defects, but I also have them identify their assets. And they always have a harder time identifying their assets, which is yet another character defect, right? So I have them identify the same number of assets as the same number of defects, okay? And I have them put them in alphabetical order so that it's easy. There's no duplication here. So we're just going to take three minutes here and Diana will let us know when we've got one minute. And I just want you to come up with a list of 10 character defects and 10 character assets. Okay. Just on a piece of paper. You don't have to do them in alphabetical order or anything like that. Cause it'll be very manageable on the page to look at 10 of them. But the last time I did this exercise, I came up with a hundred character defects. I had like 94 and then I just thought I'm going to power through and find another six just on principle and then had to struggle through and find 100 character assets. You're just doing 10 and 10. So we're gonna do three minutes. She'll let us know when we've got uh, a minute away and just do three, 10 character defects, 10 assets, okay? That's it. Thank you so much, Diana, for our time in there. All right, guys. So, um, so keep that in mind and see how that lands for you. And that's just the process of Again, the power of reading two pages a day in the big book, as my sponsor had directed me, that first AA sponsor, and you just keep cycling through, all of a sudden you see things. And at some point, I just caught that on the seventh step prayer. And in my home meeting, we say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer um, uh, in our meeting. So I don't know if it landed there or on one of the readings of the book, but I just thought, how can I, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. As a matter of fact, let's you can unmute if you want, right? And you can, text can unmute if they want. We can do the seventh step prayer, but let's just do the seventh step prayer together. And um, yeah, let's try it. Um, prayer, my creator. My creator, my <laughs> so um so yeah so um think about that and see how that lands for you it's really interesting i love to have uh i love to have people people do that right identify those character defects 
because again, that's that's the part that that I struggle with the most is seeing those things, right? Um, and being able to identify them and readily identify them. And again, the idea that I can't and I struggle with it in the way that I do is yet another character defect, right? That I do not know my value as a child of God. So um, that's step six and seven. And now <laughs> this is really powerful because on page 76, again, I'd never thought about this. I'd always thought about, oh, poor sex, six and seven, they don't have much material. Let's look at this now, the paragraph below that seventh step prayer, right? Now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. It doesn't even get a whole thing. It says now it gets coupled with nine right from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? You know, when you go to meetings and it's the step eight, people always start jumping into nine. It's really hard to do lead a step eight meeting. And I know because I just had to do it a couple of months ago. It's really hard to just talk about the list without what am I doing with it? We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory, right? Wow, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. So there are actually three sentences for the eighth step, okay? We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected, subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal, okay? And then the rest, then the rest, all the rest that's going on, it's launching into the ninth step between here and, and uh, page 84. It's all ninth step. And, um, but that, that line's pretty, pretty attention getting right there, right? That I made my eight step list when I took my ninth, when I took my four step, because that means all of a sudden Marvin and Lenny are on my eight step list. Well, we'll talk about that more after lunch when we get to the ninth step in terms of <laughs> that challenge, what that's about, right? But um, thinking about that, that all of these people that I haven't forgiven are almost all of a sudden now, and some of them did stuff to me, right? I did some damage out in the world, and that shows up showed up again mostly on my sex inventory but then there's one other thing i want to add to about we're going to go back to four step here for a minute before we get into our q a which will be happening in about eight minutes but there's an important thing i want to talk about in terms of the four step but um all of a sudden these people are on a on an amends list of mine and it's right there in black and white right we made our eight step list when we took our four step so nobody, no names are getting pulled up, but we'll talk more about that when we get to ninth step. But here's the thing I want to do. Let's just backpedal for a minute back to four step, because this was particularly relevant for me and for other people like me. Not everybody. I have a sponsee who did not participate in any stealing, but stealing was a big part of my story. I stole from siblings. I stole in babysitting situations. I was always the, you know, I was the, the, the fat babysitter that kids love, right? Because I played with kids. I did not park myself in front of a TV as a general rule when I was babysitting. I played with the kids and, you know, kids love that. And I was a good eater. And all these babysitting people that hired me, they were willing to just let me, you know, kind of blast through their half gallon of ice cream or whatever, or 
you know, their bag of chips because they knew I was going to really take care of their kids and love their kids up while they were gone. But that needed to get addressed. And I did some shoplifting in uh, my freshman year of college. I actually shoplifted all the gifts that I gave my family that year for Christmas. That freshman year I was in college, you'd think they would have figured that out, but they didn't. And I worked at a McDonald's that same freshman year and stole a lot of food, right? I would give away food when my friends came in. Um, they, they would let you take food home at the end of the night. So it wasn't, I wasn't doing any damage there, but they were game tickets, right? There were, there were stuff that was going on at McDonald's. It's, I think, I don't know how it's possible. They have the still the same game that's going on now, the Monopoly game. But um, I used to bring my empty backpack and I would fill that backpack with those game tickets. And it's just by the grace of God, I never won a million dollars in that goofball monopoly game at McDonald's because how do you pay that back, right? When you get the 12 step programs, I guess you pay it back a dollar at a time, I guess. But, um, but I had come up with a, a, a figure, but again, we'll, we'll talk more about that. So I know Morley's kind of keeping our list. We have the pie love story, but I just want to make sure I talk about the game tickets, but I think I'll remember that when we get to the ninth step, but that's more of a ninth step thing. But, um, but all these things, right? So I needed to have an additional part of a four-step. I realize my cameras here are not so good. I got to hold it back a little bit. I needed to have an additional part of the four-step. Um, have you stolen from anybody? Have, have you stolen anything, right? And I needed to make a list of that because I had a lot of financial amends to make. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that after lunch when we're talking about the ninth step. And that's not included. That doesn't necessarily get included anywhere unless somebody volunteers it. So I always ask sponsees that. And about half the time, people think, oh, wow, I was going to dodge. I thought I was going to dodge the bullet on that one because it doesn't get caught up, right? If I stole from somebody, I probably don't feel a resentment toward them. Um, they would probably, I would probably be on their four steps if they were doing them, right? If I stole from them. But that needs to get written down somewhere. So I would invite you, if that makes sense to you, to always include that if you're doing a four-step as it's outlined in the big book. In different things, I mean, I've done the, I haven't done the OA uh, 12 and 12 workbook in a few years. I've done it four or five times over the years here. But she likes that. It's 1235. Thanks so much, uh, Diana. So we just have five minutes before we're going to head into Q&A. But um, um, I would invite you to, because again, I think it, 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 that question gets asked through the workbook, through the OA workbook questions and stuff, you know, have you stolen or have you done anything like that? And there's a, you know, there's a, a one that's not, a, you know, there's a, 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 there are other series of questions you can access in terms of four steps and stuff where it gets specifically addressed, but it doesn't in the big book one, which is interesting to me. So I always make sure that I include it. Hey, we're going to do a four. I know there's three parts in the big book inventory, but we're actually going to do a fourth part. Did you ever steal anything from anybody? And I'll just tell you this little story here in the midst of that, because this was a good story from a sponsee. So we're doing the four step. And then I said, did you ever steal anything? And she said, um, and she was this very successful engineer. And she had a son who was uh, uh, disabled, who lived with her that she took care of. And she was always running him to the doctor's. And she said, I did. And so she wrote about it. And then she read it to me in this fifth step. And what she revealed is she said, and she was somebody who had struggled and had been, uh, she was uh, like 150 pounds overweight. And, um, uh, 
and had been struggling for a long time in program to get abstinent. She said, I, I've always taken my, my son to these doctor's appointments and I, I've, I've been taking magazines from doctor's offices for years. And I said, okay, yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. And I said, what would, what amount, what's the dollar amount you would put on those magazines that you would estimate you've stolen over the years? She said, oh, I would say probably $5,000. And I said, $5,000? $5,000 worth of magazines? She said, well, I would think so. She said, I, you know, for, you know, when my mother was alive, I was taking her to the doctor too. And my son's been living with me and he's 40 something years old. And I've done this for years. Yeah, I would say $5,000. And I said, really? I said, cause that, that sounds like an awful lot of magazines. That sounds like an awful lot of money's worth of magazines. And you kind of know how I roll, right? How this works with the amends, right? Because I'd already shared, right? Whatever, whatever we've stolen, that's getting paid back. You know, you're not paying somebody back their, your money, you're paying them back their money, which you took, right? I said, so 5,000 kind of sounds like a lot to me. Are you quite sure? And she said, yeah, no, I would say 5,000. I said, really? I think, are you sure? It's probably not more like 500. Maybe it's 500. She said, no, I would have to say it's probably $5,000. And I said, okay, right. So, cause we, we now have to pay back $5,000, right? And I tried to give her, and I gave her that option when I said, we're gonna, and she said, no, I would say it's $5,000. So I said, okay, you gotta make a plan. You gotta start paying that back, you know? And she picked it, I said, pick a charity. And she picked a charity. I don't know if it had something to do with her son's health issue or not, but the next day we talked, we used to talk, you know, I don't know, three times a week, five times a week. I do it differently with sponsees, try and give them an hour a week for sure, at least. But um, she got on the phone and she said, well, I went to the HR in my, my work and I had it set up for them to take out a uh, hundred dollars out of every paycheck for the next 50 weeks or, you know, 50 paychecks, whatever it is. It's going to take her a year or two years. And um, I, I don't know if she got paid weekly or twice a week, twice a month, but she, she really meant business. And that was somebody, and I know we're just closing out here. We're going to head into Q and a, but yeah. that is somebody who really, really meant business regarding her recovery. And she got abstinent, lost the weight. And um, she and I aren't in touch anymore. This was years ago, but that is someone who really, really, wanted substantial recovery and she was not going to lose her integrity and um anyway so so these are these are amazing things that are possible here and uh and i just want to address this before we get to the questions i have seen a couple of things here i know you guys don't have access to each other in the chat yeah we've, we've set it up that way we're going to open it during lunch and that was just a matter of it's just it's it's impossible to manage it it's too difficult to try and manage all those moving pieces and things. So I understand that somebody had written something and I, you know, addressed it and somebody said, oh, that was just coming to you privately. And I thought, you know, because it was talking about something that, that was made made sense to do. So I'm going to leave that chat to the tech people who are better equipped to handle that. That is a clearly a job above my pay grade. But um, we will be opening that at lunch and you can be socializing with each other at chat before we shut it down again for the second half of the uh, of the workshop. Okay, that's what I got. Great, so now it's time for the q and I'm Lauren, Compulsive Overeater. 
Thank you so much, Sheila, for this portion of the workshop. And it looks like we have about 10 questions. So the first question I have, and thank you um, also for everyone for sending these through. Um, can, so sh this person asked, um, can you repeat the part about eating on the three lies? Sure. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? That's from my buddy, Chris, up in, uh, up in uh, Calgary. Um, he says, if I truly believe, um, Lauren says, if I truly believe what it, what the doctor's opinion tells me that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, right? And I believe what Bill Wilson talks about in the story, because Bill talks about all these different things that he tried to do to deal with his alcoholism. Here, I have it written down here. Got a bunch of them. All these things. Oh, it's not in this book. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, wait, no, yes, it is in the wrong place. Oh, yeah. He talks about Bill has health problems. He talks about those on page five. He's got financial troubles on page five. Talks about a strong resolution on page five. On page six, he talks about having a, uh, oh, and great things happening also on page five, by the way. On page six, he talks about a sense of impending doom, potential suicide. He starts singing that song, escaping away from life. On page seven, he has the elite treatment centers. That's when he starts going to Towns Hospital, right? He had three trips to Towns Hospital. Was it three or four? Um, I think it's three. Uh, Self-knowledge, fear, hopelessness. Now that ended up working for Bill, but that does, hopelessness doesn't work for everybody. There are, um, you know, there are uh, skid rows all over the world where, where plenty of people who are dying of alcoholism feel hopeless, but it didn't work for them. So there are all these things. And if I really believe that, and all those things couldn't solve Bill's problem. So I believe the doctor's opinion, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, all these things aren't gonna work to get me sorted out with this. If I really believe those things are true, and I do, I can only eat on a lie today. And there are three lies. The first lie is, it's not going to bother me this time. Not going to bother me. Sugar bothered me in the past, but it's not going to bother me today. Second lie, it's going to bother me, but I'll be able to control it. So I'll be able to do it today and stop tomorrow. And the third lie is, well, my life has no value. So I might as well just quit now. Kick it in, right? Kill myself, eat myself to death, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, what do you say to people in program um, who say that, and this is an acronym, WAM is dieting? And this person said, I WAM. Sure. No, and I totally understand. I, I, I get it. I get it. It, 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 it just doesn't land for me that way. And, you know, I mean, there are whole fellowships that are built around weighing and measuring your food and, and they actually have specific readings and they say that it's because you're doing the step work and this, this, this lands differently. All I can tell you, all I can share is, is, is tell you that I, I know about those programs. I've been in one of those programs and have some experience there. And, um, uh, having grown up, like, as I talked about with the scales in my house and diabetics paying attention to stuff, because um, my mother had, died of diabetes, my mother died of diabetes, somebody's not muted. Um, and uh, I have a niece who got diagnosed with diabetes at 10 years old, and her blood sugar was above 600. The doctors told her the only reason she was alive because she was 10 years old. So we have a lot of diabetes. So it just, it didn't ever, it doesn't ever throw me. The whamming just doesn't ever throw me. And, um, uh, and because I'm working the steps, because I know I can't do that if I don't do the step work, the step work is always where everything gets planted. And this is just an ancillary thing. 
And there are plenty of people who weigh and measure and it works great for them. There are plenty of people who don't weigh and measure and it works great for them. My sponsor doesn't weigh and measure, she doesn't weigh and measure, right? There are plenty of people who don't. I don't do it all the time. I doubt I'll be doing it for the rest of my life, really, to be honest with you. That woman who shared two weeks ago at our uh, Beverly, who has the 49 years of abstinence, she always says, oh yeah, no, I, I weighed and measured for the first dozen years of my abstinence, she says. Then she'll kind of pause, she'll do a pregnant pause and she'll say, but I kind of got past that silliness, right? Or she says it like some funny way like that. And I don't mean, I'm not trying to, you know, pick on people who keep doing it. And, and I'm doing it now. I'm just saying it, it doesn't land for everybody. So if it lands for you that it feels like a dieting thing, then it's probably not the way for you to play it. It doesn't for me. You know, we have what, four or five different plans and dignity of choice that now has been threaded into that other, you know, single newcomer packet. I mean, OA was born out of a weighing and measuring mentality. That's what gray sheet was about. That's why they call it a gray sheet. It was gray sheet program because the food plan was printed on a gray sheet. And I know, cause I have one of those gray sheets from the eighties. So it's not, it's, it's, I would just invite you to just like, for me, I just refuse to be part of the infighting, right? There is, there is war going all over the world. There's war going on in the Middle East. I refuse to be part of the infighting about whether or not a weighed and measured food plan or a program can work. It does work. There's nothing to debate. It works for some people and it doesn't work for others. So just, um, you know, and I love that you're in a loving question about it. That already tells me you've got an open heart and you're trying to explore and you're trying to understand. That's great. You're, you know, claim victory and depart the field. You already win. If you don't want to weigh and measure, don't do it. It does work for some people. For me, I just want to practice and it's easier for me to do it with you. I'll know that I've really got this routine down when I can do this kind of thing with my husband, right? When somebody's doing something that just makes no sense to me and I can just think, oh, that's cool that you do that instead of like, <laughs> which is what I do with my husband. It's like, <laughs> right? Like, I just wanna, I want that gentleness, right? To infect all of my life. And weighing and measuring works for a lot of people. And I have health issues. It helps me a lot that I can show up in doctor's office and I can say, okay, I eat this much protein. I do this much carbohydrate. And you know, that just works for me. So that's what I got there. Great, next question is, what are valid reasons to change a sponsor? Oh yeah, that's a, what an excellent question. Um, yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, it, it, you know, if, if, wow, what an excellent question. Um, let's move on to the second question. Cause I want to think about this in the back of my head while I'm doing, I've actually never had this question. This is a great question. Sure. So the next question is what are the things I should absolutely not do or say with a chronic slipper? if I want to be most helpful and, and not do harm. Oh, bless your heart. Oh, what a, what a loving thing. I already know whatever you're going to do, you're going to do it right because you're already asking that question that you love and you care. That's a loving thing. It's all just about, I would say, rather than what not to do is just, just to show up like you already are. You already love and care a great deal. And the big thing for me is that I get people moving. It's just I make sure that people know it's a safe place for you to be honest with your food. And I get people on task because that's what the book directs me to do. So good cop, 
good cop, bad cop, or my sponsor, like she says, she will always be my bad cop. I give people lots of direction. So lots of love and lots of support, but lots of direction. So that's that. And then back to that other question. Wouldn't it be funny if we kept going on the questions and I never came back because that question just stumped me. <laughs> but remind me, what was the question again? Say it again, Lauren. Um, it was like, what would be the reasons that you would get a new sponsor? That's a great question. So a, a big reason, a really common reason people do is if my, you know, if, if your your sponsor, you're in a end up in a sponsorship situation where your sponsor, for instance, hasn't done a four-step and you finish your third step, you you probably need to be in a situation where you have a sponsor who's done a, a four-step, right? So that can be one way, one reason. If if there are concerns, you know, sometimes we start uh, it perhaps, you know, uh, um, you know, we you kind of start rubbing each other the wrong way, or maybe something got too deep, or something got revealed, or um, you know, that can be one thing. If you're just, you know, kind of at loggerheads and it doesn't feel as loving and as warm, um, if a situation where somebody doesn't have enough time, like I said, I I want to give sponsees a minimum of an hour a week, um, whether it's split up over five calls. I you know, ideally I have five calls, you know, Monday through Friday, a 15 minute call. So they're doing 75 minutes a week, 300 minutes a month, because that's what the sponsor, one of my sponsors did with me. And that changed my life, right? 300 minutes, minutes a month. But um, sometimes it doesn't work in terms of schedule, right? So maybe three, one of my sponsees I talked to, she's in Jordan. So we talk three times a week for 20, about 20 minutes, sometimes a half an hour. Sometimes we go a little longer, but I split it up at different times, but you have to give people time. So if somebody doesn't have the time or maybe a sponsor has a baby or gets married or moves or starts a different job or starts graduate school or whatever, if you don't have time, that can be a really valuable thing. But the other thing I just wanna throw out here because this I got introduced to, again, in my mother program, I was directed in my first AA meeting to get three sponsors, three AA sponsors. And so I've always had multiple sponsors in all of my programs. I always have. And there's always kind of a pivot person, right? But for instance, I, I um, yeah, I don't even want to get into the story here because I know we have other questions, but you can have more than one sponsor. So let's say, you know, maybe this sponsor hasn't done a four step, but you really appreciate the spiritual connection there. Maybe you get another sponsor, right? Bring someone else on the team. It takes a village in my mind. So, um, so you can do things like that. But yeah, those are some reasons. Yep. I think that's a good segue to this next question. So is it helpful to have a food sponsor to practice being on, honest? And this person um, says, if I don't have a step sponsor. Yeah. Um, so a food sponsor, if I don't have a step sponsor, okay, so that, that wouldn't work for me, right? That, that would be a diet for me. That wouldn't work for me. And I, and, and for me, I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't ever be a, a food sponsor for somebody if I'm not hearing their step work, because I don't want to kind of encourage that kind of thing. Because if you subscribe to what we subscribe to in 12 step programs, we don't believe I can go to the best dietitian, and I do. I see a mucky muck dietitian, right? And she, uh, two of, I have two dietitians that I see, and one of them, she sees professional athletes, right? She'll, she'll say, she'll get a call saying, "Be on a plane. You're going to London. You're going to be doing the nutritional uh, counseling for the welterweight champion of the world who's going to be fighting in two months, right?" And then she sees schlubs like me, so. Um, I can, I can go to her and get all the information and the food plan and the this and the that. And I walk out of there and I'm not empowered to do that. I don't know how to do that. It doesn't matter. 
And that's great. If the welterweight champion or the Olympic skier or the this or the that, if you can do that, good on ya. But I can't. So I, it's not enough to have the information. I need to do the step work to be empowered to do that. Yeah. Can I work the steps by myself? I've had a hard time finding a sponsor who does not require entire abstinence to start slash continue steps. Sure. Um, that just makes me so sad. And I, again, just coming from where I came from. And so let's look at page 100 in working with others. It's on page 100. Because I just, I just spent so much alone time. I was alone so much in my childhood that I just feel sad. It just makes me sad. Um, so there's a paragraph on page 100 that says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. The word sponsor is never shows up in the big book. That's how people who don't want to have sponsors say, well, well, the sponsor never shows up in the big book. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, right, yeah, okay, okay, right? But it does say both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we, remember, we, it's the first and the third word in the first step. We admitted we right? So um, when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power in you. It only goes into the you. It only goes into the second right person. Otherwise, it's staying in that, that uh, third person, plural. Um, I, I, I understand you've had that experience, um, I would invite you to keep looking, be in touch with me. Let's talk. We can, you know, be in conversation. Maybe I can, you know, support you in helping you find someone. And I honor everything that everybody is doing here and the way they interpret program. But not everybody interprets it that way, right? And for me, it just, and again, I want to say this as gently as I can, and I know I can, and I know you will hear it in that way, but I never understood that whole idea that we're going to bring people into a 12-step program and say, you're powerless over food and you are not, you don't have the ability to get yourself regulated around your food behavior. You're going to have to work the steps to do that. Oh, by the way, get abstinent and then we'll work the steps together. I've heard anywhere from 24 hours to a month, 30 days, get abstinent, and then we'll work the steps together. Huh? Like, I don't get it. I thought we just told them they were powerless. So again, I want to be gently and lovingly honoring the space that everybody has here. And how I got directed was to start working the steps because the A, B, and C, B that, you know, probably no human power could have relieved our compulsion. That's a God job. God couldn't would if he were so. So, um, yeah. You don't have to be alone, though. What do you do when a sponsee doesn't follow any direction you give and doesn't seem to want to be, to want to do the work? I so understand. What I tell, what I tell people is you got to give me something. You got to give me abstinence and the work, or you got to give me the work. And it's not enough to give me the absence if you're not doing the work, because if you subscribe to what we subscribe here, you're not going to be doing the work long. Um, you're not going to be eating that way for long if you're not doing the work. So what I tell people is we're going to start on a Monday and we're both going to know by Friday. So that's why I give people 
or and I give people stuff to do on a daily basis and you're sending me an email so we can track it by Friday. And if you don't, I don't say things like, again, none of the inflammatory language. I just say, I'm not sure I can be helpful for you because all I can do is do what my sponsor uh, asked me to do. And all the things I'm asking you to do, I do, I do, I'm, I'm sending the say, I'll send you the email that I send to my sponsor at night. That's all I can do. But it doesn't seem like you, you, you want, and I totally understand. Let's get you in another boat. Maybe Lauren does it differently. Maybe Tom does it differently, right? Let's get you in another boat. Don't jump in the water. Let me support you in finding someone else. There are some people who say like, yeah, two meetings a week. For me, you're going to be at a minimum of three meetings and you're going to have commitments at all three of those meetings. I forgot to include that, right? So everybody does it differently, right? But don't jump back in the water and don't be alone. Great. Do you discuss other character defects um, other than selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, frightened, and inconsiderate with your sponsees during step four or 10? I don't. I keep, well, in reference to, to, to step four, I actually, I, I don't reinvent the wheel here. Other than adding the steal, the stealing component, I don't add anything else. And when you're talking about step 10, well, let's, let's save that step 10. Let's talk more about that. That's the page 84 thing. We'll, we'll get that. But how I say it, I'll just give you a little hint. I just say to people, when you're derailed, it references different things. If you've got this and this and this going on, this is when you need to step during the course of the day and do a stop check uh, inventory. Is it, what do they call it? Is that what they call it? Um, somebody just used the term with me yesterday. But, um, but I always just say to people, anytime you're derailed, right, you can do that 10 step thing. But we'll talk more about that in the afternoon. And we got uh, two minutes till one o'clock. Great. Um, a couple kind of housekeeping questions. Um, so if this is going to be recorded, which I know it is, where do people get access to that? Yeah, that's they, a great, that's yeah. a great question. I'm going to let the, uh, I'm going to let the senior tech people run with that. So we'll let Mark, we'll, we'll let them do that when we're, we're done with questions here before we head to lunch, but somewhere it'll be on the Los Angeles, uh, intergroup website, but we'll, we'll let them address it. Okay. And then, um, what big book chapters or chapter is first step one? Ah, again, so it's the doctor's opinion, right? Which is the Roman numeral chapter preceding Bill's story. There is a solution, chapter two, and more about alcoholism. And again, for me, what I've added is Dr. Bob's chapter, right? Because I just, I just feel like he, it should have been included anyway. And it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that it, it wasn't included. And I'm just looking it up because I always just, I never can remember what his chapter is entitled. It's Dr. Bob's Nightmare, <laughs> right? So that, that comes after the other section. And uh, the whole thing that I start out though, is I do, I have them read chapter seven first, which is the step 12 chapter, but that's just to introduce to people, I can work with you if you're willing to do the work. If not, I'm not sure how I can be helpful to you. This way I can always defer to the material, the conference approved literature. All right. I think that's all for me. Thanks for everyone that passed along their questions. And I think that um, we're all out of time. If we didn't get to your question, I'm so sorry, but thanks for participating. Sure. Sure. Very good. Good. Okay. All right. So yes, we are heading to lunch and yep, we can, you guys can, um, we can chat later and my contact information and Mark, it's, uh, it's fine. They can do, let's not do the retreat one. Cause I, I don't think I'm staying on the board. So let's do the uh, UCLA one, Mark. So we'll put that okay. in. All right. Yep.
And um, yeah, so now we have a nice lunch break and Morley is going to be, somebody's going to be firing me the names because I want to be able to read all the names of all the people who are doing the volunteer work. Um, I texted all the names of all the volunteers to your cell phone. Oh, sweet. All right. So let me just hit that now. Let me just do that before we go to lunch. I just want to thank everybody. So this is this thing from, okay. So here we have, these are people who are volunteering all day. Graham, Diana, Jordan, Gnome, Dave, Sandy, Frank, Lauren, Patty, Mark, Kathy, Katie, Louise, Rod, and of course, Morley, right? And um, so, yeah, those, those, that's our wonderful team. Mm, thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for your help. Enjoy your lunch, and we will get started again at 2 o'clock. Mark? If you want, yeah. I'll take yeah. the uh, senior host back if you want to right. make me host. All right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are now lunch break. Uh, we will be back at 2 o'clock. Uh, I have opened up the... I will. I open up the uh, unmuted everyone, and I will also open up the chat so everyone can chat with amongst themselves or talk. Um, there will be uh, some tech hosts on during this time, so in case you have any technical questions, you can contact with one of us. Thank you. I do have a question, if because I'm on the phone line, so I yes. can't see the chat board. Her information. How do you get that information? Um, all right. Uh, well, Morley, if you could also pause the recording right now, too. Uh, yeah. But um, her. I can figure out how I phrase this because I want to be careful with this. But I don't figure out who has what I want here based on what people weigh. It really is about people's hearts and their consistent accessibility to their heart. And when they screw up, as we all screw up, right? We're all prone to doing that. It's what somebody's ability is, is to come back and stand in front of you and say, hey, I'm really sorry I screwed up or I apologize or I said this and this isn't what I meant. That's always where I'm putting my emphasis. That's where I put my, my focus. And I'm very, very grateful. I was talking about this with somebody last night. We were talking about, <clears throat> we were talking about this. It, it was a conversation with somebody in OA but I was saying that because I everything for me came out of both Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous, and specifically because we're focusing in the big book, and you, you can kind of see this in the big book, but it's readily apparent in relationships in Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't, there isn't kind of the, the infighting there. And, and who knows, maybe it has to do with the fact that, that there are so many programs that are dealing with food and there are so many different ways to do it. And am I gonna weigh and measure and am I gonna participate in this way? And if I am gonna weigh and measure, am I gonna do it this way where you do it all the way, whether you're you know, going out. There's one actually one food fellowship where they don't even let you go out. You can't even eat out in restaurants, even if you're gonna weigh and measure. There's one where you weigh and measure. I mean, it just, it, it, it down the line, there's just so many different places that it creates and sets up this experience where there can be a lot of infighting. That just doesn't happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think it's because the stakes are so high there. They're so readily apparent how, how high the stakes are there. And people can fall off a cliff like that and it happens all the time. That we just don't, there, there just isn't that, 
tendency to go after people in the way that there can be here or who's doing it differently or or somebody had contact you know just this week i was doing something somewhere it, it leading something that was out of my community right in another part of the country i guess and somebody's talked in the after meeting we were chatting afterwards and somebody started commenting on um people in the rooms who are still struggling with their weight which again i just the 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 whole the whole point of this i i'm glad that i especially given that i have a a, a serious health issue i'm glad that i don't i'm glad i don't weigh 200 pounds anymore i'm really glad that i don't but if i didn't have access to my heart none of that would none of it would matter none of it would matter because that was never my problem weighing 200 pounds was never my problem when i weighed 200 pounds sugar's never been my problem even when sugar was my problem flour's never been my problem quantity eating has never been my problem the same two problems i had when i came in are the same two problems I wrestle with now, to a much lesser extent, thanks to a lineage of great sponsorship. My sponsor has a sponsor who has a sponsor. And myriad times through the 12 steps in now five different programs, right? But so I've probably done 50, 60, four steps since 1986 when I got here. I'm really grateful for all of that. But it is that that gave me access to my heart because again, the same two problems I had when I came in are the same things I wrestle with now. I don't love easily and I don't forgive easily. Those are my issues. My issue has nothing to do with my weight. I am quick to judge. I am quick to deconstruct. That's it. That's it right there. That's what I'm always wrestling with. That's the untreated alcoholism that I'm waking up with every single day. I wake up and I got an opinion about what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're wearing, what color you color your hair, what you're driving, who you're dating, whatever it is, I've got an opinion. And it's just a matter of time, like minutes before I'm gonna turn that on me. Just a matter of time. And if I can't be kind to me, and usually, actually, it might even start with me. I guess it depends. Depends if my husband snored that, you know, if he's snoring when I wake up, right? Whether the focus is outside of me or whether it's on me. But it's just a matter of time. It's going to end up here. And if I can't, if I'm not reconciled with me, what kind of a chance could you ever possibly have? ever. You don't have a chance at all. You just don't have a chance at all. Hang on, I'm just going to close the door because my dog came in here. So it's, um, it's a non-negotiable that I hit the ground running and um, I pray on my knees. I've been directed to pray on my knees, uh, work the steps as they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, sponsor people, do service, and um, surrender on a on a moment by moment basis as needed and um, in terms of the ninth step i had a lot of amends to make and so through that fourth and fifth step and so 
because there, I ended up with a, not a lot of names on my list, right? When I had to give away a lot of stuff in the fourth and fifth step, had a lot of resentments, a lot of sexual stuff. So I had a lot of names on my eight step list. I had a lot of amends to make when I got to a ninth step. I had a lot of amends to make. And um, I talked about the stealing. So let's just start there. Because um, I didn't have a sponsors who believed in living amends. Because I'd, I'd been hanging around the, the rooms for a year, year and a half before I, you know, kind of got planted, I guess, with that first night step. Maybe it was a year. I don't think it was a year and a half now that I think about it. But I'd certainly heard about living amends. Because again, I've always been very active. I go to a lot of meetings, still do. Five, six, seven meetings a week. And my sponsors have always mandated. They've said, ah, if you're going to be in that many meetings, you might as well have three commitments a week, three, four commitments a week. That was always just kind of the direction I got. And if it worked in year one, it's going to work in year 20. So um, I I did a lot of stealing, right? So I stole uh, and I just figured, well, I don't steal anymore. So that's good. So that's kind of my living amends. And I ended up, this is when I was living in Europe, and I ended up with that sponsor I talked about, Beryl. And she said, um, oh, oh, good. I'm so glad you don't steal anymore. That's great. Yeah, that's we don't do that kind of stuff here. I'm glad you don't do that. But if you stole from somebody, people are getting paid back. And I said, well, I did a, I mean, first of all, I did a lot of stealing with food and, you know, going through Halloween candy and stuff like that. I don't know. How do you, how do you handle that? Do I, do I show up at my sister's house with a five pound bag of candy? Is that, is that how this works? And she said, no, we'll get back to that in a minute, but let's look at other, let's look at some of the other stuff, but we'll, we'll get to, to that, how you can handle that kind of stuff. She said, but tell me about some of the other stealing. I said, well, as I said, I, I had done a lot of shoplifting in that first year of college and I, I shoplifted things and brought them home. And really my family did very well that year, that Christmas. She said, well, what was the amount that you would estimate that you shoplifted in terms of gifts, stuff you gave them? And I said, well, probably, I don't know, maybe $1,000. I, I don't know if it was that much. I'm not sure but maybe $1,000. She said, well, that sounds like that would be a good figure. So let's start paying that back. And I had just graduated from college, finally, right? uh, and it landed in a social work job. So I, I wasn't making any real amount of money. And she just had me start um, putting money in a can, in a, a Band-Aid can. It was when Band-Aids used to come in a hard metal can. And she had me start putting cash in there and I would have to clean it out, I don't know, every couple months. And then I would I would um, write a check because she would never let me pay because there were some specific instances. I stole from bosses in a couple job situations and she would always in those instances, she didn't want me to write somebody a check. She said, it's too easy for you for somebody to rip up a check, but nobody's going to, nobody's going to rip up check uh, cash. And they're very rarely going to refuse cash if you're putting cash in somebody's hand. So I had a couple instances where I worked for people, including I worked for my father and I'd stolen from my father, but where I had to put cash in hand. And um, in one instance, I was work I'd worked in this uh, uh, big business and the, the couple ended up splitting. So she had me divorced and it was a, a problem, problematic divorce. So she had me go to each of them and make the same confession. And I gave them half the money and I had to tell them that I was giving the other half to the other, the other partner, right? The, the ex-spouse. And, um, and had to do it putting cash in hand. And I will never forget standing in front of my father and putting $300 in my dad's hand 
because I had stolen from him. And he um, had had some success with his business and then his business fell on real hard times. And I remember he was going to be putting that money toward my brother had just died. My brother had died of diabetes at 36. And he was going to be putting it toward um, the payment on my, you know, my, my, my brother's funeral expenses. And um, <clears throat> that was certainly humbling to stand in front of my dad and say that I'd stolen from him. And, uh, and I, I remember I talked about the working at the McDonald's and the estimate I ended up giving her was about $300, right? In terms of the food that I'd, I'd given away to friends coming in and, you know, this foolishness, foolishness with the game tickets and things like that. And if, you know, you win a prize with the game ticket, she had me kind of figure that all in. So I came up with this $300 figure. So I made a donation to Ronald McDonald House and, um, Again, showed up there, and there I, I did get to show up with a check. She said, "Don't don't carry in cash," but um, I I went in, and I always told them in places like this because people say sometimes, "Do you do you know do you tell them that you're you're, you're a member of a twelve step program?" And I always have, because I figure it's a it's a good opportunity for me to really carry the message of what it is we do here, and I always want to stay very conscious about the message that I'm carrying. What I always tell people is, if you're still somebody who's flipping people off when you drive your car. Don't put a bumper, don't put a 12-step bumper sticker on the back of your car. If you're still somebody who gets irrational, and even if you're not going to flip somebody off, but you're going to do this kind of stuff and be gesticulating in your car, don't do it with a 12-step sticker on the back of your car, right? We're always carrying a message. So I figured this is a good opportunity for me when I show up and I'm making amends and I identify myself as a member of Overeaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I was making these amends, because the things that I stole really, it was largely fueled by my eating disorder, I would out myself as an OA member, which is good because then sometimes people didn't know anything about OA. But we'll talk about that later when we get to the 12th step in terms of 12th stepping and stuff and different, different approaches to that. But um, so I had those amends and then so I'm, I'm stacking up money in this, in this can and I would pull it out every couple months and then she'd have me figure out what it, it was. And then I had to send a money order, not a check, but I had to get a money order to sending it to different charities and things. And um, I, I will never forget how good it felt when I finally had, had finished that with the thousand dollars. And, um, and then in terms of all the candy and stuff that I'd stolen from, from people, Halloween stuff and, and babysitting things, because I, I did a lot of that, that stuff too. I was always blowing through people's food. And there was one amends I, I just, I couldn't even make. And I remember this was a, a one-shot deal. I was, had been referred in this babysitting position, because again, I was the fat girl who was babysitting in high school. And um, I got referred into this job. And I remember I went there and I can still... I can still see the woman's house. And I remember I go in and there's a, you know, they have a, in their kitchen, they have a, you know, beautiful counter and there's an, an, an apple pie, right? There's a pie. She said, identified it as an apple pie. And she, you know, introduced me to the kids and taking me around the house and, you know, opening the cupboards, you know, cause I'm a chubby girl. She kind of gets a sense of how this might go in terms of stuff in her cupboards and says, you know, there's chips here and there's stuff here. And she said, well, you're welcome to anything. And the kids go to bed at this time. She said, you know, the only thing she said is, you know, the pie. She said, don't, you know, don't eat the pie. That's for, you know, that's for Aunt Margie tomorrow. But there's, you know, all these other things help yourself. So they leave. And um, I cut into the pie and have a piece of pie. And then I have another piece of pie. And then I have another piece. And all of a sudden, pretty soon, half of the pie is gone. 
and they come home three hours later and this woman sees this and half this pie is gone. And she said, what, what happened? And I said, um, yeah, no, I, I had, uh, yeah, sorry. It's really good. She said, but I, I told you, I told you that I made that, that my aunt is coming tomorrow. And I, I said, you were welcome to anything else, but please not to eat that. And I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's really, it's really good. You're really good. And I remember, I just remember the, I don't know if it was discussed. Maybe it was it, veiled anger. Not sure. I just, it was so humiliating. I, it was so painful. And of course they never had me come again and I can't blame them. But, um, so I had a couple instances like that and then, you know, getting into the Halloween candy and stuff. And I said to my sponsor, I said, so how does that get handled? And she said, well, she said, in this case, I do have a situation for you as a living amends. She said, any time in your life. And I think she, I, I think there was part of it. I think she had me make a donation to a food bank. I don't know if she did, or if at some point I mentioned this to another OA sponsor who said, nah, I think you should make a donation to a food bank. I think at some point somebody pointed me toward that, but I don't think it was this first sponsor. But I remember what she said, because I've done it ever since. And she said, um, she said, anytime anybody in your life ever wants to try anything that's on your plate, anything, your answer is yes. Anytime, like going forward. And it doesn't happen a lot that people do that, right? But I know it just happened to me about a month ago because my husband's pretty well trained. I mean, he knows like he's he's not gonna he's not gonna get involved with that. He's not going down that that run. But somebody somewhere, I was in a situation who said, Oh, that looks good. Can I try it? My first thought was absolutely not. Oh, uncivilized. What are you doing? Yes. And then I, I remembered, I immediately went back to that sponsor and I said, yeah, sure. Here is your, is that fork clean? Sure. Here, take a bite. Right. And I held up my plate and um, because those, those old things, and that is kind of a living immense in terms of that, in terms of funny business that I always did getting into people's food and stuff. And then making those hard, fast amends with money and the, the really great thing that happened around that is um, I had a sister who had gotten, had gotten angry with me, my older sister, my, both my sisters are older. And she had gotten really mad at me because I'd done kind of the dumb little sister stuff. You know, I used to, you know, burn their candles, you know, play their 45s and, you know, just generally be in their room and mucking around. And my sister had ended up in a situation where she was in an apartment and she'd given me keys to her place and I went in and I would wear her clothes and get them cleaned and I hope I got them cleaned and you know put them back in her closet but at any rate at some point she got wind of this and she was just furious and then she had moved out of town and she just wanted nothing to do with me absolutely nothing to do with me and she would tell anybody that would listen that I was not somebody to be trusted and again keeping in mind what my history was where I was coming from that I already had so much shame that I was dealing with, coming from the alcoholic home, dealing with the sexual molestation at the hands of those two men, knowing that I had retreated, I'd started stealing at five years old when that first guy started molesting me. I mean, I was already, I already felt it. So the idea that somebody who was outside my head, who was kind of communicating to me that, 
you're unacceptable, you're not to be trusted, you're a liar, I want nothing to do with you. It was just a, a, a pain that I just, if I didn't have 12-step programs, I don't know that I would have been able to, to cope. I don't know, really, if I would have. Because she was saying all the things that I already felt in my head. I already, I already had those ideas. I, I couldn't get away from that. And so, um, and she wanted nothing to do with me. So on that first, uh, you know, she, she was on my four step because I resented her because she didn't like me and I didn't like her and it hurt my feelings and it ended up coming out in the story about what I had done to her and how she, you know, she was just furious and just, again, didn't want anything to do with me and would tell anybody and everybody in my family that I was not somebody to be trusted. And most of the people in my family, I mean, again, I met, like I said, I'd stolen from my dad. I had all this stuff. People kind of knew that I was dodgy character, not unlovable, like my sister was communicating about me, but, you know, proceed with caution in terms of Sheila around stuff, things, food, food, especially. But, um, so I do that, you know, I get to the, the eight step list and nine step and I have to make some amends to my sister. And so my sponsor had directed me to um, offer her cash. So my sister had come home because I don't come from one of those close families where we get together. So there was something going, it was probably a funeral. And um, I remember walking down the street with her and I made the amends and directed to as directed and told her I was had gotten clean and sober and in program and I was also dealing with my eating disorder and and um and that I I was sorry for what I'd done to her and I pulled out a hundred dollars cash and I said and I'd like to give you this and she said um oh you don't need to do that my sister married very wealthy both my sisters are you know rich one's rich and one's stupid rich and this is the stupid rich one and uh, she said, oh, you don't need to, you don't need to give me that. You don't need to do that. And I said, no, I really, I'd like to. And she said, uh, no, it's okay. We're good. We're good. It's okay. And so she went home. I went home and the the conversation continued. She kept talking about me and gossiping about me and family and my family. Cause again, I come from one of those kind of families where people can't say things. They can't stand in front of somebody and say something in front of their face, but there's just a lot of behind the scenes gossip. So it continued. So she ended up on another. So now I'm pissed off because I've tried to make these amends and I'm circling through the steps again, right? Because that's the process that I was part of. And she ends up on a four step again. So then she's on an eight step list. So now it's time for amends. And I'd explain to the, I don't know if it was the same sponsor or what I, you know, when I, between when I left Michigan and ended up in California. But at any rate, I, you know, she's on the, the four step again. And, and, and so she's on the, the list. And so I'd said to my sponsor, explain to, you know, what had happened. And she said, well, why don't you try again? So I tried again and um, offered money, didn't want anything to do with it. She comes up again a year later. She's a third time. And, and I, I, even at this point, I'm kind of thinking, how, how long does this keep going on? And I remember my sponsor saying at the time. This will be the last time. So if you want to, she's refused money a couple of times, as you've told me, why don't you go ahead and just send her something? So I send her a, you know, a, a, I got a really beautiful, some beautiful lingerie, you know, so I think I got her like a silk nightgown or something. I spent some real bank on it, hundred bucks, I think, a hundred ish, you know, and um, I sent it to her and she didn't send it back. She didn't respond at all, but still 
nothing changed. She said it was fine. We're everything's okay. All right, we're all good now. But she didn't want anything to do with me. She would never send pictures of her kids as her kids. She had two kids as they were getting older. She didn't want anything to do with me and communicated that loud and clear. And she continued the conversation in the family. Sheila's not to be trusted. You cannot trust her. But at this point now, because now we're like five years in, five, six years in, and people are starting to think, well, they're seeing the changes in me because that's how this happens here. It doesn't, it's not, it's, it's not the, 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 the weight loss that is the most engaging. It's the least interesting transformation that's happened to me here. But what people start experiencing is access to my heart. Because remember, my issues are love and forgiveness. And it's not like I've solved the problem, but things are getting much better. And my life is changing. Everything is changing about me. And they realize that maybe I'm not, maybe Sheila's not the problem. Maybe you're the problem. And I do remember I, I had an uncle who actually kind of dumped that in my sister's lap. Who said, well, I don't think Sheila's the problem anymore. I think you're the problem. And she still couldn't hear that, but she didn't want to have, she still didn't want to have anything to do with me. And she was carrying that into the next generation with her kids. And that's, that's alcoholism. That's the pathology of the ism, right? Is how it gets carried into generation after generation after generation. And her daughter, though, interestingly, her daughter felt very connected with me and her daughter was dealing with anorexia and um, used to call me a lot in high school, which used to really jerk my sister's chain. And her husband behind my sister's back would sneak me pictures of the kids and stuff. And he would encourage the kids to, to write me letters and I would write to them. And I don't know if I sent him to his work. I don't know. I, I certainly couldn't send him to my sister's house. She would have intercepted that. So I can't remember how this went, but he was really facilitating the relationship developing. And when my sister got wind of that, she was furious. I remember there was a trip where the, the kid was coming out here. One of them was coming out here and, and uh, for an athletic event. And he set it up where I was going to be able to spend time with her. And oh, my sister was just furious with him absolutely furious. So she just could not forgive. She would not let this go. Absolutely would not let this go. And I just kept following the direction here year after year after year. And I knew that I'd, I'd, I'd done that on that third attempt. I'd sent her the beautiful nightgown. She's still pissed off. And I remember my sponsor saying, you are done with her. You're done. You're done. You do not ever have to write her down on a four step again. And I would direct you if I'm your sponsor, I'll always remind you of this. She said, but I would just, I would suggest to you for the rest of your life, you'd never write her down on a four step again in terms of this. I really wouldn't. I would let her go. She is a troubled woman and I would let her go. Pray for her, love her, but let her go. This is not about you. It has not been about you for a long time. And I just kept, and I just, I remember thinking, God, this is so sad because she and I were, she and I were a lot more similar than I was with my other sister, whom I've always been close to, the one that's closer in age to me. But this older sister, we, we, were the, we had the most in common and we just, a lot of ways we were just twinsies and she just didn't want to any, have anything to do with me. And I just kept, you know, you just keep going. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other year after year after year, it's all you can do. And, um, and I just figured, well, this is sad. I mean, I guess this is how it's going to go. And I'm just never going to have a relationship with her. And some things get reconciled and get sorted out in 12-step programs and some don't. 
and um, her daughter, her, her oldest child, her daughter, went, went away to college. And, um, and my sister, again, this is the sister who's stupid rich, you know, and her husband's in a huge, huge job in uh, a Fortune 100 company, right? And um, his boss reports to the CEO. I mean, it's one of those kind of jobs, you know? And, um, and, and despite the fact he had done this work to facilitate the relationship with me and the kids, he kind of got scared off when my sister got so angry about it. And so he kind of, you know, hightailed it. And he's very conservative type guy anyway. And, and um, you know, he was always pleasant enough. And again, my sister would always be pleasant enough when we showed up at those events, because again, it's not like nobody has the courage to actually say something in front of you. They would always talk behind your back and things like that. All the things I used to do that used to feel very familiar to me as somebody who came from, you know, an alcoholic home. Um, tragically, right? So I didn't really have any, you know, I hadn't had any dealings with him in a few years. You know, this stuff had all happened when the kids were younger and now their, their youngest child has started in college and the other kids a year or two behind her. And I am coming home from my home AA meeting on Thursday morning. It's a 6.45 a.m. meeting. So it's about eight o'clock in the morning and I see a call coming in on my cell phone and it's from this, you know, the area code where they live. And I don't recognize the number and I answer it and it's him. And let's just call him Ned. And Ned says, uh, uh, Sheila, um, can you, can you talk? And I could hear something was going on in his voice. And I said, yeah, sure. Hang on. And I pulled over and remember I pulled into a parking lot of a bowling alley. And, um, he said, I didn't know who to call. So I, I thought I would call you but something happened. And I said, okay, Ned, what, what happened? And he said, uh, and let's just call her Cindy, his daughter. He said, something happened to Cindy. And this has been, it's now been 25 years since my sister and I, right? My oldest sister and I, Again, I'm not trying to play games, but I just kind of want to honor people's spaces too. Let's call her Terry. Um, it's been 25 years since Terry and I have have had any any semblance of a relationship. And he said, uh, he said, well, something happened to Cindy, and I I I didn't know who to call, so I wanted to call you. And I said, okay. I said, what happened? And he said, she got raped. She got raped in 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 the in a frat house. She was in a sorority and she was in a, she got raped in a frat house. And I said, okay. Um, and his voice has started to break. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I don't, I don't know what to say other than to tell you how sorry I am. What can I do? And he said, well, that's why I'm calling you. He said, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And I said, and again, keeping in mind, I've never had, I, I've never had a conversation with this guy other than kind of just basic stuff in the family, family things, the, the rare times that we have those family things, right? Marriages, funerals, that kind of thing. 
we're not a family union type family. And um, I said, uh, well, I don't, I don't have any experience with this, but I'm assuming you've been there and gotten her. He said, oh yeah, no, she's, she's home. We've, we've got her back here. And I said, okay. I said, have you contacted an attorney? Is that the thing to do perhaps? And he said, uh, maybe it would be. He said, should I get one down here or there where she goes to school? You know, she goes to school a thousand miles from where they live. And I said, well, again, I don't have any experience with this, but I'm imagining you might want to get an attorney in the city where this happened. And he said, okay, that would probably be a good idea. He said, do you know any attorneys there? And I said, no, no, I, no, I don't. I mean, he was in shock, right? I said, no, I, I actually don't. I said, I've got a buddy down here. And I was just thinking about it because I'd just seen him in my AA meeting. I said, I've got a buddy here who's you know, pretty good attorney and he might know someone up there. Should I contact him and see if he can put you in touch with someone? He said, yeah, sure. Would you do that? And I said, sure. So I get off the phone and again, told him I loved him and told him how sorry I was and told him I would, you know, talk to, talk to Cindy later in the day. And, um, cause I had to get to work and, um, and I call my buddy and he puts me in touch with an attorney who I put my brother-in-law in touch with. And about six hours later, I get home from work and my phone rings and it's coming in from my, my sister's home, right? Terry's home. And I answer the phone and it's my sister, Terry. And she's crying. And she said, did you hear? And I said, I did. And I said, I'm so sorry. And she immediately goes from the vulnerable place where she's really sharing really intimately about or revealing her heart, right? Through her tears to anger. She gets really angry and she's furious with her daughter. And she and I are on the phone for two hours and she's furious with her daughter because what had happened, because I get more of the details now, her daughter is in a sorority. She'd showed up at a fraternity house, got raped, didn't tell anybody, came back to the, the house that night. The next weekend, skipped the parties, the festivities. And the following weekend, two weeks later, went back to the same fraternity house and got raped by the same guy a second time. And my sister is just furious. She's furious. And again, keeping in mind, remember all this stuff we've been talking about, because this is the whole process of how everything gets unpacked here through being here year after year after year after year after year, working the steps over and over and over again as you just start uncoiling the spools. And having dealt with sexual trauma myself, this. I get this. I get it from my niece's perspective. I get it from my brother-in-law's perspective. My sister's perspective, the anger at her daughter kind of throws me 
But again, my background is social work. I'm not a, a social worker. It's not what I studied. I'm not, I was never licensed, but my, my background was social work. Those, that was my first job out of college. So I, I and, and plus just everything you've taught me here over time, I know how to listen. I know how to keep my mouth shut. I know how to share from my experience, strength and hope. I know how to tell you when I don't know how to do something. And I also uh, know how to gently suggest things and happily open to the idea that you might not want to take those suggestions, right? And I don't know what anybody needs to do. I don't know what anybody needs to do. I'm a card-carrying Al-Anon member. But I know, how to, I know how to do things that I did not know how to do in my home. And my sister's anger at her daughter, though, that's throwing me. Not throwing me to the point like, what are you doing? What can you be thinking? But I'm just thinking, Twilight Zone, just not even sure. And I just keep listening to her and I keep asking questions. And finally, she says, um, she reveals that she has a therapist. And I said, I, again, keeping in mind, I have not talked to this woman for a quarter century and we're on this phone call. And I said, I'm wondering if you would want to, if this might be useful for you to talk to your therapist about this. And she said, talk to my therapist about it. I would never tell my therapist about this. And I said, wait a minute, wait, you, you wouldn't tell her what? She said, well, I, first of all, I wouldn't tell her she was raped. And, and I'm, I'm not going to tell her that I'm, you know, how I'm, how angry I am about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell her that. Why would I, I'm not going to tell my therapist that. And I thought, what, what do you, what do you, what do you talk with your therapist about? <laughs> But again, I kept my mouth shut and I just said, um, okay, well, I'm just concerned. It sounds like you're in a lot of pain. And for me, there's usually pain underneath my anger. Anger is always a smoke screen for me. I don't know for you, but it's a smoke screen for me. She said, what do you mean a smoke screen? And I said, well, remember how mom was always so angry and she was a rager and stuff. Remember how she would you know, break the dishes and throw things, throw the stuff against the wall. I said, there, there was pain underneath that. There was the pain of alcoholism, you know? And, um, and she said, yeah, I, I guess. I said, well, I'm just thinking that maybe there's some pain underneath this for you, you know? She said, are you comparing me to, my, to mom? And I said, no, I'm, I, I'm not. And it wouldn't be an indictment, right? <laughs> it's just pain. She said, well, she was furious and she was angry. I mean, she just, she couldn't see. You know, you can't see. We can't see when it's right in front of us. That's that's the pathology. That's the bigger problem than weighing 200 pounds or 300 pounds is something's right in front of me and I can't see it. My sister is furious that her daughter got raped twice. And she's telling me on the phone how stupid her daughter is. And she wants to call her and tell her because she's you know, she's gone to stay with an aunt or something on her, her, her dad's side. And she, she wants to call her daughter and tell her how stupid she is that this happened. And I said, oh, 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 no, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to do that. And she cannot see the anger. That's alcoholism. That's the pathology. That's everything we're dealing with here. And I said, um, she's not stupid. She said she is. Who goes back to a fraternity house? And again, the girl was 18 years old at the time. She said, who goes back a second time when that's happened 
and it happens to you again. And I said, well, that's the kind of stuff we do when we're young and stupid. I might've said young and stupid, right? That's the kind of stuff we do. And she said, I didn't do that kind of stuff when I was young. I didn't do stupid stuff like that. And I said, yes, you did. She said, no, I didn't. And I said, yes, you did. And she said, no, I didn't. And all of a sudden it was like she was 10 years old. And I said, yes, you did. And I got it in that moment for those 25 years, even through the wisdom of being in the meetings here and listening to you, tell me over and over again that it wasn't about me, that it was about her and her pain. I got it conclusively in that moment that the reason my sister had never been able to forgive me is because my sister honestly believed that she had never done anything wrong. She had never made any mistakes. And um, I then really saw it in a way that I, I just have, I, I will never forget that moment. And um, I can't remember if she told me if she loved me when we got off that phone call, but we talked again a couple of days later and I remember hearing it and I can't ever remember hearing that from my sister. And three months later, she invited my husband and me to come down and spend the holidays with them. And um, so we went and um, again, she had for a lifetime had been telling anybody and everybody I was not to be trusted. And I remember we had, uh, I hadn't brought enough warm clothing. And so my sister and her husband were going out that night and we were going to be there for a week. And she takes, walks me into her bedroom, right? Her huge walk-in closet and says, just go in there and take whatever you want and just use it while you're here. She said, we're going out. We'll see you in a couple hours, but just take, take whatever you want. Just grab whatever you want. And so I just grab a couple of things. And the next day I'm, um, walking the dog with my husband and I stick my hand in the pocket and I pull out a, a, a very, you know, expensive earring, right? A, a, a jewel earring. And I get back to the house and my sister is, you know, there with her husband and I'm, you know, we're laughing, talking about the dog walk and stuff. And I said, oh, and I hear, I found this in the pocket of, of your sweater here. And I set it on the counter and she runs over and she said to her husband, you know, Dave, here, she, we, I found it, I've got it back. And it, it, it was this, you know, precious earring apparently she'd been looking for for months. And I thought, okay, have, have, can we conclusively be done now? Have I, have I, have I established now that I do not want your stuff that I'm, I, 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 can we, can we put the, 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 the horse thief story to bed? Like, are we, are we complete now? Are we done? And, um, and it was just so ironic. And I remember going to a meeting that night and, and pitching that story and somebody else, you know, told kind of something similar, like, right. Like the, just this, this powerful thing that happens here through this process of working the steps, 
when we just, you can't even see a way out. You don't even know how it's possible. And I'll tell you a story at the end of the day, that one that I referenced before from a sponsor of mine, that'll just blow your mind. It's just amazing what's happened here. If I just keep circling through time and time again, and who would have known that the tragedy of my niece experiencing that is actually what would bring my sister and me back together. And uh, like, again, you just, can't, you just can't see a way out with this. And I, I, I'm so grateful for the process that I have always wanted to be a part of and only am even more excited to be a part of now, right? To just keep going through these over and over again to see what gets revealed and see what happens and see what gets birthed out of this. Now, I'm the only one in my family who goes to 12-step programs, and I'm not the only one who qualifies. If nothing else, they all qualify for Al-Anon. And they know that I'm sober because I write it in my holiday letter, right? But nobody wants to go. And like I said, my sponsor said, 12-step programs aren't for everybody. We go really deep here. So I don't, I don't retreat anywhere with that, but I'm just so grateful that I don't, I am not going to need to leave the planet and not know how to do the things that I didn't learn how to do in my childhood. And it's because you're teaching me all those things and all these relationships. And, and I always say of all the bad stuff that happened in my home, the, 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 the sexual stuff, the raging, the throwing things, the beltings, the, the worst, again, is that people didn't know how to talk to each other. They didn't know how to say, I've got a problem here. Louise, can we talk about what happened at the wedding? Can we talk about it? Because my feelings got hurt. Can we please just talk about it? People didn't know how to do that and still don't. And, um, and the reason my brother-in-law called me, I've since learned from him, the reason he called me is because even though they all think it's kind of crackerjack that I go to 12-step programs, they always kind of say, oh, that's so funny. You still go to those? They'll always say if I end up home for a family thing, because I'm going to run to a meeting. I'm going to run to a meeting. Let's see, you still go to those? You still go to those meetings, do you? I say, yeah, I do. And they say, why do you go to, why do you still go to those? I mean, you don't, you're not overweight anymore. You don't drink anymore. Why do you still go? And I think, well, because of you, I mean, quite frankly, right? But I don't say that. But it's it's because of them and because of me. But the reality is I actually continue to go because I feel the love there. And I don't want to miss out on the love. And I don't want to miss out. It just, it cannot get any better than it continues to get here year after year. So I just keep participating. So at any rate, that's my that's my best step nine story in terms of how everything got reconciled. And I ended up in a situation with, because I took care of those financial amends in year one, um, I, I ended up in situations at one point, I was, working, I, was, um, I was working as a nanny. I was paying off undergraduate student loans before I was heading to UCLA graduate school to you know, take on more. So I, I was working, I were, you know, did some kind of some stuff with celebrities and stuff, travelers and stuff. And then I ended up in this situation where I was working, I've worked for two billionaires, right? Countless millionaires and two billionaires. And these people, uh, it, it wouldn't be unusual for them in their, their office when the assistant, you know, the, the person who ran the office would leave. And there would be, I don't know, there would be more cash than I've ever seen outside of a bank, right? Sitting on a desk and, you know, 
and I just thought, oh, isn't this interesting? You know, I got a, and this was right in the thick of it when my sister was still feeling like she couldn't trust me, you know? And again, I'm working as a nanny in my car that I'm driving on my, on my weekends off was a, a convertible Jaguar, you know? And my, I've got, I'm thinking, well, I got this sister who feels like he can't trust me. And meanwhile, I'm in this, you know, in this job where there's, well, I don't know, $100,000, $200,000 just sitting around, you know, I mean, just like the, the things that happen here and it, it, it can take time for it to catch up in the family, but I don't want to miss out on any of this. I don't want to miss out on a bit of it. And it really, so much of the best stuff got birthed out of what are often refer, assumed to be the hardest steps, other than the first step. That's a pretty tricky one. But the fourth and fifth and the eighth and ninth, right? Kind of reconciling that stuff. And I've had the biggest blessings come out of there. So that was how I got reconnected with that sister in terms of that relationship. So that was the ninth step. So again, you're dependent. Uh, you don't get a lot of direction in the book on how to do a ninth step, right? My suggestion is always don't, don't, you know, wade into the waters on your own on this. Always take sponsor direction, put it in front of your sponsor and take whatever direction and ideas that people have. I just always had people who are just always very fundamentally based in uh, uh, paying money back when, when money got stolen or I took something that didn't belong to me and three attempts and you're, you're done. And I've since talked to people since who said, uh, I would have I had you stop after the first time. If you offered your sister a hundred bucks cash and she said no, I, I would have dropped it at that first time. But again, I was just following the direction that I, that I had at the time. Okay. So um, then we get to the 10th step as it's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It's a little bit different than it is in the 12 and 12 um, that, that came, right? The what, 12, 13 years later. But uh, there, because here it is on page 84, is it's something that we do throughout the course of the day. The 11th step is actually um, what you do. Um, Actually, let's do this before we do that. Before we go on and talk about the 10 step, let's do this little exercise, right? Let's do this three, the promises one, okay? So let's go to the promises, right? They're on page 83 and they wrap around to 84. So I'm gonna read these promises and then we're gonna take three minutes and we're gonna do this little, little exercise here, little promises exercise. Actually, we'll take five minutes. We'll give you five minutes to do this. So I'm gonna read the promises and pay attention because here's where here's what the, the assignment's gonna be. Is you're gonna through choose three of the promises. And I want you to just write for the five minutes about how those promises have showed up for you. And if you are not on the ninth step, right? If you've gotten past the ninth step, write about how the three promises and how they've showed up in your life. If you're not there yet, think about the three promises that are the most exciting to you. And what do you hope will happen for you in terms of this process going through just as we've been talking about, right? Just as you go through and you see all the, the miraculous things, ways out of simply no way, right? Things showing up that there's just no way this could have ever been possible. And again, if you're here at the end of the day, you'll hear a story from a sponsor of mine that is gonna blow your mind. You won't even believe it. I'm telling him, he. I've always say you should send it into the grapevine, but, um, but at any rate, so think think about the promises. If you're not at the ninth step, think about the promises you hear and what you hope for in terms of, of the various ones here. So if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, I'm on page 83, of course, about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. 
We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So whomever our timer is, let's, uh, let's go five minutes and uh, let us know when we've got a minute. You can just go ahead and start the timing. So again, you're picking any three of those promises and how they've showed up for you. It's just a way for you to validate to yourself that this is working in a profound way and how miraculous it is getting it down on paper. If you're not at a ninth step, what are the what are uh, the the promises? You know the ones, the three that resonate the most with you, and what do you hope happens for you there? Okay. So again, our timer will let us know when we've got a minute. Who's our timer in this section? It's Sandy. All right, Sandy. So just let us know. When I'm your timer, so I'm starting it now. Uh, sure. Tila. Yeah. Okay. How are you? Hey, Sandy. Hey, go, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Go. 